Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, about recovery. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You're listening to episode 14 of We Do Recover. I am your host, Jared Miller. Today I'm joined by your co-host and our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. Hello, hello everybody. We also have in the house our producer, Sean Denovan. Hi, guys! And <laughs> I, couldn't, you, I couldn't even keep it together there after that, Sean. Come on. We also have a giant of a man for our featured guest. This guy could probably quote the AA and NA book back and forth. He goes by the name of John Red. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming. This podcast was recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 14, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. Listen, if your loved one needs help, please give them a call. 801-800-8142. It's been a couple weeks since we've done this, Ellis. Yeah, we took a week off. That was great. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. We we can't do this every week for the rest of our lives, but... I went to a beautiful wedding. Did you? Yeah, what did you do? Uh, What did I do last weekend? I went up to Brigham City and saw a few patients. That's about it. Nice. Yeah. Just making the rounds. That's good. Doctor calls. Let me How ask about, can I ask a quick favor of our producer? Can I get a little more volume in the headphones? Yeah, let's get it. Yeah. All yeah, right. thanks. That's better. John, right. what's new and good in your life, buddy? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Like it's uh I love Saint George. I've got in laws that live down here. It's a it's a beautiful place. Grateful to be sober. Absolutely. I hear that uh you were driving through Beaver and the universe spoke to you. Oh yeah. You got to share that story, man. That was an awesome. Okay. So it was the weirdest thing. I was thinking last night, I probably could use an AA meeting as I was driving down. Yeah. And so I was right at Beaver. I looked it up on my phone and suddenly there was an AA meeting within five minutes of where I was at. It was six 50 stopped into Beaver for a seven o'clock AA meeting was there for about 50 minutes. Um, and I love going to AA meetings that are not in my hometown with people that I've never seen, never yeah. met. It's, it's a, it's the same meeting and it's the same message, but it's just conveyed in a different way. And I got a lot out of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's check in with Sean. Sean, what's going on with you this morning? I hear we've had tons of technical difficulties. That's why we're running a little late. I have fixed a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> I just feel happy about it. So problems and computers and wires and programs and updates and all that whole nine things. But you know what? It's working. I love it. That's all that matters right now, right? We're so grateful for you. I know that this it, it, this isn't easy, right? right? This is not easy. So thank Listen, you. I got to second that motion. I tried to do a podcast once upon a time just by myself, and it, 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 the, the concept was great, but the, the way we pulled it off was really not very good. And uh, to have a guy that fixes all the problems and makes sure everything works, and it's been really cool. Thanks for doing that. Like, yeah. This is way better this way. You're worth Every cent of that Every 10 penny. pennies that we pay you. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Every penny of that dime we pay you. Uh, all <laughs> right. Let me, let me work on that invoice a little more next time. Oh, <laughs> okay. you, might, you might need to add a zero or two. There you oh, go. Move man. that decimal point over. Yep. I love it. 
All right. Well, today we got Dr. Sellers in the house. I'm going to let him lead on our guest, John, here. Oh, my gosh. I have to lead? Let's I don't get know it, how to buddy. do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, okay, let's do it. So, John is in the house, and I've known John for a while, but I don't really know John all that well. I got to know that much about him. So, uh, today get, I get to discover this stuff with you guys. Uh, I've known John as a... Uh, yeah, it's just a really happy kind of smiling all the time kind of glasses always seem the glass always seems to be half full kind of guy. So, John, what is behind that smile? Well, it, good question. I I don't even know. I I woke up today just feeling so happy, so blessed to be able to be here. I'm I'm nervous. This is not something that I usually do on my week, like on a Friday. So for you guys, this is natural and normal. But for me, um, I had some anxiety this morning, but I'm just grateful. I'm hoping that I can have a message um, that recovery is real, that there's hope. Yeah. I think my story and my life, um, I was one of the guys who quite literally thought I was just so hopeless that there was no option for me. Yeah. And I get to live a life today that I can be proud of. Yeah. And it's a big deal. Yeah. Well said. So I got, I got gratitude out of that. Right. Absolutely. Like gratitude is a way to stay happy and a way to kind of look around and take the inventory and figure out what's going on in your life that is worthwhile and helpful and beautiful and fun. And, uh, I like that approach. Like that's a great approach. Just, yeah, I, I've got a formula that I use. It's a simple, simple formula. And I was told if you always want to have a good day, you just make sure your gratitude outweighs your expectations. And if oh, you're yeah. able wow. to do that, you're going to have a good day. And so whenever I get to a place where I'm thinking, oh man, life's heavy, like it's just rough today, I've got to like put those on the scale and determine where my gratitude is and where my expectations for the day are. And as long as I focus on what I'm grateful for, I always have a good day. Well, that's yeah. great. I love that. I'm going to repurpose that, that. You know, that is one of the <laughs> things I think that I've gotten out of doing this podcast is there's these little nuggets out there that I don't always, you know, I've been around recovery for a while now. I've been clean for over 18 years and, um, I just don't always know these little nuggets. Like some of the things we've learned on this podcast are just great. Like, Make sure your gratitude outweighs your expectations. Yeah. Wow. I love it. And, and it's not hard to do. No. It's, it's, that's a pretty simple formula. And any time I'm willing to do that, I have a good day. Sometimes I'm not willing. Sometimes I'm just, I'm stuck in myself and that's where it goes. But if I'm willing to do that, it's a great day. Yeah. If you see, it seems like. That would be a relatively easy thing to do is to manipulate that in your brain that look, look around and find something that you're grateful for. And if it, it's not very hard in recovery, right? But the second thing is also is maybe if you're worried about not having a good day, lower your expectations. I mean, you can increase your gratitude but by conscious thought. You can lower your expectations by conscious thought. Either of those things are accomplishable. Absolutely. So, you can do them together. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Well, that's beautiful. Well, okay, so for our studio audience who does not 
We don't have a studio audience for our listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing these grandstands full of people. You know, I think I think I have an idea to expand the podcast studio. Now we're going to bring in an audience. Yeah, that's that's a big, a good idea. yeah. Get some bleachers, and yeah, it'll be great. Uh, I got a little carried away there. Sorry uh, for our listeners. Who's John Red? Like this? T- introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Kind of what's going on in your life right now. What you're doing. That sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah every abs- story has a beginning. Where does it begin for you? Yeah, absolutely. So where I'm at right now, and then the beginning. So I am a husband. I am a father. I have four kids. Um, Twenty years old. Twins that are seventeen and eleven year old. Uh, eleven year olds getting ready to turn twelve at the end of this month. Um, I've been married twenty three years to an absolutely amazing woman. Um, I am an employee today, so I get to work in recovery, and I absolutely love that. I love having the opportunity to to help people and to hopefully get them, um, give them some hope and let yeah. them know that it's possible. And I I really get to live this, this life today that's kind of beyond my wildest dreams. Like I, I never thought that I could just wake up and be happy and be content to where I'm at. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. So tell me your kids' names. Um, Andrew, he's the oldest. Okay, I have an oldest named Andrew. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Great minds. Yeah. Well, or, or something. Fate. Yeah, something. I'll fate. Take, I'll, yes, fate. Fate's probably better there. More appropriate. Um, twins are Molly and Charlie. So okay. boy and girl. Sweet. And then the youngest, his name's Cash. Okay. So I've got. Three, Three boys, boys girl. one girl. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah, how it was, is. How was raising twins? You know, it's, um, it was a lot of work. Yeah. It, it was an absolute lot of work and it's not that let's they, be honest. You didn't do any of the work your wife did at all, but oh, yeah, she's, it's still a lot of work. I mean, I, that's I cheered when I was around, <laughs> I like um, it. but she, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work and it's, they become easier, but it's still different. The struggles just change. So now it's figuring out where, who's driving what and where they are at night and when they're going to be home. But I, I've been super blessed. I have some, like, I think every parent says this, but I probably have the most amazing kids in the world. You do. Yeah, I do. I know I do. Yeah, you probably do. So I, um, sadly, so do I. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so for me, it's, uh, like I just look at the people they've become and who they are and um, man, I just can't help but love them. Like they're, they're just incredible people. So it's, and I wish I could take credit for it, but I really can't. Like they kind of figured out how to become that way on their own. Yeah. Again, just a little, you feel a little bit of gratitude there for, for just being able to be around people. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, take us back. Where are we at? Where do you start? Okay, where did I start? Yeah. Um, so I'm the oldest of six kids. Okay. There were five boys in a row. Um, I grew up in Farmington, Utah, more or less, from the time I was eight. We lived in France for a couple of years when I was younger and traveled a little bit east coast, but from eight on, I lived in Farmington. I was... Probably the best way to explain it was I was just a kid who was always anxious. Is Farmington just like France? (laughs) (laughs) No. It's like one twilight zone to another. Um, I've done that a few times. I moved uh, from Las Vegas up to Davis County, Utah, and Uh that was truly one twilight zone to another. That's a good point. Yeah. So I, I moved there when I was eight, and I was just 
I was one of the kids who was always anxious. Like I always just felt something wasn't right. I was always just nervous. And I remember never sleeping the night before school started and always like being overly concerned about what I was wearing and who I would sit by on the bus and just, just had this underlying threat of anxiety that just kind of always went through me. Was it like a sense of a type A personality, John, or was it more than that? Like, I think it was more than that. You're, you come off as very high energy, high strung, right? Like, yeah, that's just you. I, I see that. Like you're, a, you're a red personality or type A personality, but there was more to it than that. Right. That's yeah, what I'm getting a lot more to it than that. Okay. And I just overly self-conscious. It was, it was as if, and I think you guys have probably heard this, but when I heard it, it just clicked for me. It's as if other people around me had gotten the book on how to live this world. And somehow I never had it. Yeah. Like I never read it. I never saw it. I'd watch people interact and I just think, man, that just seems so natural for them. Where for me, it always felt pressured and I, I overthought everything. And so that was kind of who I was growing up. And then for me, kind of what started this whole process for me and w the, the first part of what got me here is at the age of 14, um, I had a friend come over and he brought over some Smirnoff mini bottles. And I remember at the age of 14, learning how to pronounce Smirnoff. Um, <laughs> and, and I've thought yes. for, I've thought for a few years, what kind of orange juice we mixed with it. And I have no idea. That's I don't, I don't know if it was like a tangy or flat because the orange juice is not what had the effect. And I drank three of those and suddenly I went out in the neighborhood and I was, I was making eye contact with the girls, which was like huge for me. Like I was laughing. Okay. People were laughing around me and I thought, man, I think I've figured out how I'm going to function in this world. So the uh, alcohol kind of dip, like pushed down that anxiety and you were able to socialize and slow absolutely. down the, the, no, the, the crazy out of control thoughts in your head. Absolutely. But yeah. I, I had this cognitive dissonance that was going on at the time too, in that my dad had just been called to be the bishop. Like I was in a fairly religious household and I thought, oh man, well maybe the way I'm going to function in this world is also what's going to take me down. And, and that went on briefly because I kept drinking and my world kind of spiraled from there and I just kept it going. Ooh, interesting insight at that age, right? That's yeah. You, you understand that's the thing that's going to ruin you, but you also then are fighting against this is the thing that makes me feel like it looks like everyone else feels. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it's what allows choice. me to be a part of yeah. or feel normal. Absolutely. Which yeah. is every kid's quest. Yeah. yeah. We all just want to fit in. We all just want to, uh, you know, act like we belong there Acceptance. and have people accept yeah. us. Yeah, I think that's that would be a really, really difficult choice. You found something that makes you feel like you fit in. Yeah, and that that's what started it. That was the struggle. And so my world, I was able to, somehow, I was able to be a good student while pulling all of this off. So I... I kept that going, and by the age of 18, I'd moved out of the house right after graduating high school, um, moved in with some friends, and things just truly escalated to a point where um, at the age of 19, I had to check myself into treatment. So I was someone who was shooting up heroin and cocaine on a daily basis um, at 19 years old. I'm 6'3", um, about 200 pounds, and I remember going into treatment at 140 pounds at 6'3", when I was 19. John, okay, so we just, you, man, you just- Oh yeah, us, no, I'm going we quick. light years like, there. So let me just ask you a couple questions. So of course. started out, at what age did the Smirnoff get introduced? 14. 14. By 19, you're 
not only abusing illegal narcotics, but uh, an IV user. An IV user. And so the way that worked for me, it was, it was one of those things I said I'd never do. Like in my life, sure. I would never do. Sure. And I had been experimenting with like cocaine and different things at the age of 19. And my roommate's little brother was an IV user. Mm. So he and I went in and we both had like $15, which was probably all we had to our name. So we decided to split some up. And what happened is he um, said, okay, I'll, I'll split it up for us and came back. And he said, man, I've got yours in an IV. <sighs> I said, I'll never do that. And he said, look, he goes, there's nobody that gives me more crap about doing this than you. He said, if you do this, I'll listen to you. But he goes, you don't understand what it's like for me to not do this. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm a guy with amazing willpower, so I can do this, show them it's not going to work. And what happened for me is I felt like if on a scale of one to 10, if like the greatest, like high sensation that I'd had in my life was an eight or nine, suddenly I did something that took me to a 15. It just took it right off the charts. And it was from that moment on, I did not know how to stop. Yeah. And I think it, look in our teens, we all think that we're indestructible. Sure. Right. Sellers. I mean, sure. You probably thought that way too. So tell you struggled with that. Struggled 19. with that 19. And then I, there? I called my parents, um, I called my mom and just one day asked for help. Like I was, I was at this point where I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. And yeah. so my parents came and scooped me up and put me into treatment. And I went down to Arizona at the age of 19 to get into a treatment program down there. And when, when I went there, I felt like suddenly I had found people that I could relate to, like people who were looking to be emotionally honest and people who I'd always felt like I was this black sheep and you know, suddenly I was around all these other black sheep right. and, and it just seemed to work. And so after that, I came home and I thought, well, I've got a, a new career path. I've got a new way of doing this. And so what I did is I came home and I went, got a degree in psychology. Um, I went to the graduate school of social work to earn the LSACs, the, so the licensed substance abuse counselor, um, got married and um, decided when I got married that I was could use more education. So I went to the Y and got an MBA and decided I was gonna take a totally different career path because at the time I thought, hold on. Yes. Go Cougars. Okay, for those of you that <laughs> Let's keep don't going. understand the word, yeah. the why, he's talking about Brigham Young University here yeah, in Provo, it, Utah. And my undergraduate and the uh, social work was from the U. So I'm, oh, I know, isn't I that crazy? Like, I'm, you're like a mix of me and Sellers. I'm yeah. a hardcore Utes fan. He's a diehard BYU fan. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore Utes fan too. I, I had a lot more fun at that school. So <laughs> <laughs> when I went and got my MBA, I was married. I was just there at nights. It wasn't, it was just showing up for academics. So I went there um, and got an MBA and it's, and then decided to get into medical cells. So I just completely switched career paths. I had one counselor as I was going through and I was getting my LSAC and uh, he was a guy that I really connected with, but for some reason I felt like the way that I'd seen how he was doing his world and how he was interacting with people that being a counselor was chewing up a piece of him that he was never getting back. Okay, and yeah. he'd just become really jaded and I thought, man, I, I don't wanna become that guy. Yeah. So I, I thought I'd just take a different career path and it was more um, financially like viable as well. Like sure. getting into medical sales paid, sure. paid yeah. a whole heck of a lot more. 
Yeah. So just to kind of recap, you went into treatment at 19. Yes. Got out and were flying straight, doing great. Yeah. Got, you know, you mentioned you got married. Life was good. Yeah. During that time, did you catch yourself ever slipping up? Was there yeah. any relapses? Were there you were. just like pretty diehard? Yeah. There were. So I drank um, occasionally through college. Um, I always, the, my justification for it was that, you know, I'm, I'm not shooting up. I'm not using heavy drugs. I went to treatment when I was 19. So I was pretty convinced I wasn't an alcoholic at the time. Sure. And I was able to maintain and manage through college to a point where I still got really good grades. Um, it was never anything that's spun out. And when I decided I was done, I just was done. Got you. So got married in the temple, like cleaned up just in it's all aspects. Impressive. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Um, and married my wife. She, she, like I said earlier, she's an amazing woman. And so, and then we started our family. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I, I want to go back on a point a little bit though. Yeah. Your reaction to Smirnoff was such that if you look back on it now, you found something that made you fit in and feel normal and feel like maybe that was a solution to some of your problems. Absolutely. Like the reason I want to go back and point that out is that is a sign for people. Like people need to recognize when you have that sort of reaction to any chemical substance that you can put into your body, that's a really, really strong warning sign that you may run into problems. Yeah. Huge red light right there. Yep. Yep. And so, um, what happened next to my life? Like I, I've got a very specific day that I remember in my life, which was St. Patrick's day of 2003. My clean day. Is Patrick's it really? Day. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Which means I'm not an alcoholic by the way. Congratulations. Because alcoholics <laughs> get clean the day after St. Yes, Patrick's day. Not that, not that day. Absolutely. And so what, what happened in my life is I had graduated my master's program in Oh two. Um, I was moving down to Las Vegas. Wait a sec. Don't tell me this is going to be St. Patrick's Day 03. Yeah, so I'm telling you what happened in 03. I know, but that's exactly my clean day. This okay. St. Patrick's Day of 03. Okay, yes. Wow. Well, so two days you and I will not will not forget. So St. Patrick's Day of 03. Um, I'd gone into the doctor to just get like some blood work done because we were moving and saw the family doctor. And I got a call the night of St. Patrick's Day of 03. It was 5.45 at night. I was out in front of my house working on the yard. And the doctor called and said, hey, we got the blood work back. And the results came back and they're suspicious. Mm. Now, Doc, you know what suspicious means. I had no idea what suspicious means. So I just said, okay, cool. What does suspicious mean? And he said, well, you've got cancer. And he said, I need you to come in tomorrow morning. I've cleared my schedule. He goes, I'm concerned. He goes, you've got thyroid cancer, but it's, it looks like it's metastasized through all your lymph nodes. And um, at this point, I had a two-year-old son. Um, my wife was seven months pregnant with our twins. And I went into the doctor's appointment the next morning. And when I tell you when I was 14, kind of the anxiety and the unease that I always had. Oh, yeah. Um, it was It was hyper at that point. Like, I, I did not... I didn't sleep that night. I, d I didn't know what I was going to do. And I remember going into the doctor's appointment and I remember asking him what we're looking at. And, um, he said, you know, you've got 
thyroid cancer, it's metastasized through the lymph nodes in your neck. Um, we don't know where else it is. Uh, we've got to get you in for surgery immediately. And I remember asking him like what the prognosis was and what we're looking at. And he said, well, it's stage four. Um, he said, worst case scenario, six months. And then I sat and talked with him for another 30 minutes. And what happened is I don't remember what else was said in the 30 minutes. Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. I remember sure. him saying six months. And after the six months, um, I just panicked. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't even imagine. Can't yeah. blame you. Hey, uh, we're running a little bit short on time in this first segment. We'll get back to this at the at the second segment. Yeah, thank but you for sharing that with us. I'm sure that has a big part of your life in recovery because obviously we know that uh, you made it through that. Yeah. Well, wait, don't. Don't tell him he made it through. Yeah. Oh, this is oh, the might big, be alive. I this might is not. the big cliffhanger at the end of the first segment right here. He could be talking to us right now, or it might be a hologram. We're not sure which. That, yeah. More to come. Yeah, More to exactly. Come. Hey, thanks for sharing that. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become with the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Welcome back to We Do Recover, episode 14, part two. We have our featured guest, John Red. He's sharing his amazing life in, in recovery. He shared with us some of the, the depths of where his addiction took him. And he's also led up to a, a point in his life where he found out he had cancer. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. This is great. This is a great cliffhanger and yeah. story so far. We'll get back to it. So just so you guys know, episode 14, part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden in St. George. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden in St. George. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, go ahead, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. Yeah. I stayed there you last guys, night. Yeah. John stayed there last night. I photobombed yeah. John this morning. I would not. I, I, my room was beautiful and comfortable. I didn't sleep all that well, but I don't think that's the Hilton Garden Inn's fault. I think <laughs> I just didn't sleep that well. How about you? Yeah, I, I loved it. Your it was great. clean. It was yeah. comfortable. It, the bed was super comfortable. More comfortable than my mattress at home. So oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, they're good to us for sure. So we love, love those the Hilton guys. Garden Inn. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get back to it. So we were left in the at the end of segment number one. We were left with John Red sitting in a doctor's office. He has just been told he has stage four, and I have a bunch of questions about that, but they're way too medical and technical for me to get into. But <laughs> I'm confused how they knew it was stage four with just neck lymph nodes because I don't think that's stage four. They must have known something else or thought something else at least. But anyway. Uh, cancer gets staged based on sort of where it is and how aggressive it is. And stage four is the worst stage of cancer you can have. So here we are. You're, at, you're just been told you have stage four thyroid cancer. Take us from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm 28 years old. 
Um, oh. I just graduated the master's program six months earlier. I um, had gotten a new job. We were really excited to move to Las Vegas. And I had a son who was getting ready to turn three in a month. And my wife was seven months pregnant with our oh. twins. Oh. Wow. And I remember leaving the doctor's office thinking, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, the panic I had thinking, and I'm never going to see these kids grow up. Um, and what he said is we need to bring you right in for surgery. So I went in just within a couple days for surgery. Um, the surgery was supposed to be a few hours long and I was supposed to be in the hospital a couple of days. Um, surgery lasted almost the entire day. Um, I was in the hospital 11 days and as a result of it, a branch of my spinal accessory nerve got severed. Oh, jeez! And so during I, the surgery, during the surgery, oh. and so I ended up having a lot of shoulder pain. And um, when I when I left the surgery, I was given oxycontin. Oh yeah. And I have thought so. This was '03, and I got sober in 2017. And I have thought for the past three years how much pain I was in at that time, and I do not remember. But I remember just being so full of fear and just so emotionally um, panicked that that's what I was taking the medication for. Sure. Sure. So more for that than the actual pain in and of itself, you feel like. Yeah. More for, okay. more for that than the actual pain. And then what happened that just progressed. I, so after the first surgery, we, I had a couple more surgeries, um, multiple rounds of radio iodine treatments yeah. And had a surgery at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. Then uh, another year later, had a surgery at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And I remember what had happened in 07 when I had had the last surgery at the Mayo Clinic. And I'd been given a clean bill of health. And I was hooked on Oxycontin. Um, I'd gotten myself to a point where I was drinking vodka every night so I could fall asleep. And... Um, they told me I was, I had a clean bill of health. And I remember just thinking, now what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. Like, because I, I could see where I had gotten, um, still able to maintain a job and kind of hold it together on the outside. But internally I was just, just such angst. And so then my thought process got to, well, John, you know, you have a degree as a licensed substance abuse counselor. So it would be good to put like all of that self-will and self-knowledge you have to practice and pull yourself out of this. Yeah. And so I started trying to do that. And what happened for me is that it just spiraled. It got so much worse. I was trying to control alcohol with pills and pills with alcohol. And it was just this vicious circle where, um, then I started losing all the jobs, which my identity and my ego was attached to. Um, and it just, it spiraled to a point um, from 07 to 2017, where I, when I finally went into treatment that I couldn't hold a job, that my parents and my in-laws had gotten together and they were trying to figure out how to put me on permanent disability because they thought I'd never be able to hold a job again. And I thought maybe they were right. Like, I didn't think there was a way I could be a part of this world. Um, now, well, was was that through... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Was was part of that through maybe they felt like you, it was the fallout from your surgeries? Like, had you been honest with them and, and upfront with them about your substance abuse use? And I also think it's super funny that they gave you this clean, clean bill of health, right? 
saying you don't have any cancer left. And yet you and I both know that the addiction was Oh, was, rampant. Right. As likely to kill you as the cancer. Oh, probably. Yeah. yeah more likely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to point out a quick, uh, another quick note and I hear this all the time. And so, so sometimes during people's stories, I hear these little kind of dings that in my brain, I've heard way too many times, why were you using meth? Well, I was using meth to get off of heroin. Like, okay, guys, yeah. that's not a great yeah. way to get off of heroin. That's just All that does is give you a meth addiction. <laughs> and um, and so you, you kind of mentioned that about the, you know, you're using the alcohol to control the pills and the pills to, con and it's like, yeah, okay, that's also a red flag yeah. when you're using another controlled or illicit substance to get off of, that's not going to work ever. <laughs> Yeah. And the problem was, is like internally, I kind of knew it was a red flag, Yeah, but I, I felt like I'd gotten to a point where I was just doing everything I could to survive in this process. Sure. And so I'd lost all these jobs and I'll take you up to, um, so in, in the course of that 10 years, we moved back from Las Vegas and we did that in 2010. Um, and I thought that would help me. And the problem was, is I brought me with me when I yeah. came up to Utah. Yeah. Should have mm -hmm. left yourself back. Should have left myself in Vegas. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you entirely. Um, and so I thought that was part of it. And like we said earlier in the podcast, it was kind of going one twilight zone to the other. So I thought if I changed my environment, it'd be okay. My wife and I ended up having um, our youngest cash, it, thinking I was kind of hoping maybe a kid would fix it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Kids will fix it. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't, like cash is amazing, but it didn't fix the problem at yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah, And so we we came up and I ended up losing the jobs, um, like I said, that I was so attached to. And as long as I was making good money and holding a good job, I felt like I could still hold it together. And it was the summer of 2017. And I'm gonna tell you about like another thing that I just remember so candidly in my life. Um, we were going on a family vacation in Newport Beach, California, and we were going with the in-laws and it was my wife and kids and her brothers and her sister. And we, we were pretty excited. I was excited to go on this family vacation. I love Newport Beach. I, I'm excited just by you explaining that. Sounds exciting to me. Yeah. 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 And it was, um, two days before the vacation, I got uninvited to come. Ugh. Ugh which was the absolute right thing that should have happened. I, yeah. I was a guy who had so much self-pity that just to be around me, it's like I literally sucked the air out of the room. Like mm. no one could even be in my, I couldn't be in my presence, no one else could. And um, I got uninvited and my wife's heard me tell this story a bunch and she actually pulled me aside a couple months ago and she goes, you think you got uninvited, but she goes, really, you were never invited to start with. <laughs> she goes, I, I just had to let you know that. And right. I'm like, I, oh, great sense of humor, yeah. but it, it's the truth. And so it was me, I was home alone with the dog. Um, and I got into this point in life where it, the way I describe this point is that when you wake up in the morning and your life has never been so heavy and you just cannot believe what it's become. And it's never been that bad. And then you wake up the next morning and it's worse. Yeah. And you wake up the next morning and it's worse. Yeah. And I was at that point and I was entirely out of options in my mind at the time. And so I, I came up with the only thought that was probably the most novel idea that I'd ever had 
spike in trying to get help for me. Um, and so what I did is I went through the house and I locked all the doors and I pulled the blinds, which was funny because nobody visited me. Like right, I, was, right. I was not a guy yeah. people just you dropped don't. in on to say, hey, buddy, let's watch a game. Yeah, you don't come over and visit the Dementor, like yeah. the guy that sucks the life out of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I went down to a um, bedroom in the basement, sat on the bed, and I just remember like just dropping my head and, and simply saying, um, God, if there's a way out of this, please help me. And it was the most sincere prayer I've ever said in my life. And what happened um, within a couple days of saying that, the job that I was barely holding on to asked me not to come into the office anymore. My wife came home from Newport and she... Well, that just does not feel like God helping you. No, it? it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't. But it, it's, it has like... You can like look a, back on it and for sure it was, but it doesn't feel that way at the moment. The no, morning. it has a beautiful ending to it. And so my wife came home and she had this resolve in her face and in her eyes that I'd never seen before. And she looked at me and she just said, man, you got to go. She goes, I don't even care at this point if we stay married or get divorced. You just have to go. Um... I went up to my parents' house. My parents have the six kids. You know, a couple of us have been to treatment. Yep. So they're, they're pretty good enablers. Like, it's <laughs> like, sorry, mom, dad. But um, they had been, and they said, look, we're willing to help you, but we're not willing to help you your way. Like, yeah. things have to change. And then, um, amazingly enough, it, it was about the day after that I got, I got an opportunity to go to treatment. And I now am somebody of the, I just have this firm belief in looking at my life that sometimes when I feel like my world's falling apart, it's God's way of bringing it together. But I can't see it. I, I would have told you at that time that everything in my world had fallen apart that day yeah. or that week. But what had happened was, is it had to crumble so that it could be brought back. But I couldn't see it at the time. Yeah. What's right, you're trying what? to hold on to everything that's crashing down around yeah. you, and God's going like, "Let it fall. We're yeah. going to rebuild a different version." Right? Absolutely. Yeah, like what just happened? I just asked God for help, and then suddenly I lost the job. Like that's that's yeah. not God helping me, is it? No, not yeah. the way I wanted. Right, exactly. Yeah, I just kind of wanted which all is, this disease to be removed. I which just, is the <laughs> insight your parents had, not the way you wanted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. And so I I went into treatment and. Um, I, I got into treatment and again, I had an experience like I had when I was 19 um, and that just the people I was with and I, I think there's a few things. Uh, one of the things that made a huge difference for me is I think some people go to treatment to get clean um, and I went to treatment to take out the garbage. Yeah. So I went in there just like, it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter what they asked of me. I was willing to do it. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that camaraderie, right? That, that brotherhood, feeling close with people, feeling like you have things in common, you can share. It's definitely a, an amazing healing process for the, the environment Absolutely. That, you're in, that you're living in. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I went to treatment and I just had this thought that it didn't matter what I had to do. I was willing to do it to try to get my life back again. Yeah. to try to start it over. And so um, I went to treatment. After treatment, I went and got a job at Costco. Um, best job I've ever had. Like I, going from medical cells to stocking a shelf at four in the morning. Mm. Um, Humbling. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it taught me I could be employed again. 
Yeah. They taught me how to show up in the morning. Sense of value. Sense of value, sense of purpose. And I just, I had great experiences from that. I got heavily involved in the 12-step program and so got involved with the sponsor. Um, today I have sponsees. I go to meetings. Um, and again, it's that camaraderie. Yeah. 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 I love that. Thank you for bringing us into this. Beautiful. Do you have any questions for, for, for well, our guest about his life in recovery today? Well, that's I mean, where he's we, a giant of a man yeah, in the recovery we need, world. We need to get there quickly cause we're, uh, we have about 10 minutes left in our podcast and the life you're living today looks so beautiful. So let's, uh, let's move towards that. Yeah. Well, so, so take us just briefly from that. So you got out of treatment, what happened and then how did you get where you are today and what, where are you today? What are you doing? Yeah. So I got out of treatment, um, and went and worked at Costco and I was working on like my priority in a day, um, at that point and still this morning is to stay sober. Mm -hmm. That is the one absolute most important thing that I do in a day. And it's amazing to me because when I focus on my recovery and my sobriety, um, my wife will think she's the most important thing in my world. My kids think that, that there's nothing that matters more to their dad than them. Yeah. My job seems to think I'm all in and I, I just, I'm just kind of telling them like, look guys, I'm just a dude trying to stay sober. But when I'm sober, I get to do some beautiful things. Yeah. And so for me, I'm, I, I'm also a guy who I don't remember the last drug or drink that I took. Like it had just gotten so bad for so many years that I, it just spun into everything else. And so I suddenly started getting this new life and I started feeling like I was a part of this world again. And I started just having this energy and having kind of this peace and serenity about me. And so I was working at Costco and I remember I was reading the big book and I was trying to figure out if I should leave and get back into medical cells. And there was a part in the big book um, that said we had found that material well-being always followed spiritual progress and never preceded it. And I, I was working on making some spiritual progress. And I remember praying and asking what to do in my life and just got this overwhelming sense you're okay right now. Um, and then two days later, I got a call from somebody who worked at a rehab and said, hey, would like to make you our um, community outreach director and business development and so I, I went into recovery and what, what I've found for me, so I've, I've had a couple jobs in treatment. I ended up a couple years later getting laid off from that job because they, they closed a lot of the, a lot of the, um, outpatient programs, one of the residential programs where I was working. And so it, and then amazingly, I just ended up another place and I absolutely love where I'm at today and I love being able to meet with people and being able to say, you know what, there's, there's hope, there's a way through this. Yeah. And where are you today? Give them a shout out. Yeah. I'm with Ardu, Ardu Recovery. So yeah. it's in Provo. Um, it's a medical detox, a residential facility. We just opened up aftercare as well. Um, we do a really good job. I, I, one of the things that I think Ardu does very well in my experience is that a lot of places, um, as I said, you go to take out the garbage. And I think in residential, it's not as much the path to recovery. It's doing the discovery. It's uncovering. It's figuring out what's going on. And I, I see these people getting well that come through the program. And um, I actually get to run group there on Thursdays. Way cool. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's my favorite day of the week. That's awesome. 
So I, but I, I work there and I do that today and I do, I'm really involved. I'd love to, if we have time, I'd love to tell you about the best night of my life. Oh, we'd love to hear the best night of your life. Okay. So, um, I, it was still early recovery. Um, it was my twin's birthday and their birthday was May and they were the last. So I'd been sober on my youngest birthday. I'd been sober on my wife's birthday. I'd been sober on my oldest birthday. I'd been sober on my birthday and it was the first time I ever got to be sober on their birthday. And they were turning 15 wow. years old and they wanted to go to classic skate and classic skate's usually not my idea of a fun time. <laughs> oh, gosh, it, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Okay. I, I tell people it's, it's like, that just sounds terrible. Yeah. I hope I could say this on the podcast, but it's kind of like my version of hell. Like yeah. I actually think <laughs> hell might sound funner than, than a night of classic <laughs> skate. Absolutely. Lack of a better way of putting it. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I have great memories of classic yeah. skating, holding the girl's hand, going around in circles. Come on, guys. What's You're not young. to love? You're young. <laughs> and so, um, and I was working at, I was working at Costco and I could barely afford the little Caesars pizza that I'd showed up with. I didn't have, um, I didn't have any money and it didn't sound like it was going to be a fun night. And I was, I pulled up and I remember walking in and I remember thinking something that my sponsor told me. And he said, John, make sure you take your higher power with you wherever you go. And that was a new concept to me. I always thought I kind of checked in in the morning, checked out at night. And then what I did in the day was my business. And, um, I remember just walking into classic skate and just saying this prayer, like, like, if you can help me, um, I'd like to be able to be a part of this evening. And I went there and I'm six, three, I put on some roller skates, <laughs> not super coordinated, um, so it's kind of like a giraffe going around the roller skate rink <laughs> with strobe lights. It's a beautiful picture right here. Yeah. And man, I had the biggest smile on my face and I was just a part of the evening and I went home and I went to bed and at first my son, Charlie woke me up and he woke me up to tell me it was the best birthday he ever had. And then about 30 minutes later, my daughter Molly came in and she told me it was the best birthday she ever had. And I, I had always tried to buy him gifts and I'd always tried to buy him the biggest and nicest thing that you could possibly afford. And this was the first time I had an opportunity to be with them sober. And so I, I'm a guy who just loves sobriety because in sobriety, I get to do the things dads get to do. Yeah. And when I'm in my disease, it's not an option for me. Right. I don't have that choice. And today, um, I've just like, if we had hours, I could tell you all the amazing experiences that I've had in my life like that since I've been sober. And there are things that I took for granted, but also for me, there are things that I never thought it would be possible for me to have. I thought for the rest of my life, I was just going to die that way. I tried every way I could possibly think of to get out of it. I had a business degree around it or a, a master's level degree around it. So I'd been educated and I thought I had a way through it. And it wasn't until I just surrendered and gave up that suddenly I started getting well. And so I, the, the whole theme for the first of the podcast was gratitude, but I just have so much gratitude today that I get to have the life I get to have. It's yeah. a, it's a huge deal for someone like me. Well, and two, I, I think that you affect people that, that you don't, even realize or you don't always know, right? We all do. When we carry that spirit, that message of hope, the message of recovery, 
So I, I had, I got to tell you a little backstory on why I reached out to you and we, we set this thing up. I had a friend, which don't worry sellers, I'm not going to give up his anonymity. Okay. What's, but what's his name? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. So he, he was supposed to come on and then the time came and he said, you know what? I wouldn't feel good about it. I'm kind of struggling. He said, but there's a guy who's helped me a ton. John Red. He said, check this guy out. He's an amazing guy. He, he, he has helped me through my struggles and I would love for you to have him come on and replace with me. So you're I, doing amazing things, man. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's like, cause I knew of you on right social media and stuff. But when you have somebody dear, when I had somebody dear to me say that you had affected them, I was like, oh yeah, this guy definitely needs to come on. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. And you are a giant in, in recovery. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I can take credit for that. Like by a lot of grace, I get a chance to be sober and useful today. And I, and I attribute a lot of it to the 12 step program. There's my favorite promise out of the 12 by 12. It just real quickly, I'll tell you, it says that, um, these 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which if implemented as a way of life will expel the obsession to use and will enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Yeah, that's amazing. And today in my life, I get to be happily and usefully whole as a result of just trying to be sober. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I want to touch on a point before we're, we're close to out of time. We've got a minute and 15 seconds. but Take us out on this point, buddy. I want to touch on this point that you made that I think is so poignant that people don't always realize, and that is... Uh, I did the same thing with my kids. Like I made a bunch of money as a when I was an obstetrician, but also was high a lot. And um, my my I bought my kids a whole bunch of stuff for their birthdays. Like they got cool presents. They got really cool stuff. My kids didn't want that stuff. Mm. They liked the PlayStation Seventeen. I mean, sure, but my kids wanted to see the giraffe on the roller skates. That's what that's what our kids want. They want us. They want time. They want. That's all they want. They don't. They don't need the stuff we think we're buying them. That's so important. I think that was a great point you made. And, and thank heavens we get to do that today. Yeah, John, that was beautiful. Such a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that with us again. John's at R Do Recovery. Really quickly, the phone number. It's eight zero one eight one zero one two three four. Okay. Thanks, John Red. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you guys for tuning in to We Do Recover. This is the fastest growing podcast about recovery. Join us next week for episode 15. Beautiful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.